Welcome to The Art of Badassery, where I explore what it takes to live life on your own terms, break free from the status quo, and unleash your inner badass. Whether you're a rebel at heart or simply seeking inspiration to step outside your comfort zone, this podcast is for you. I'm your host, Mahara Wayman, and each week I dive into the stories, insights, and strategies of those who have mastered the art of badassery and are living life to the fullest. They smile when no one is looking. Welcome to another episode of the Art of Badassery podcast. I'm Mahara Wayman, and I'm so excited to introduce my guest today, none other than Jillian Johnsrud herself. Jillian's story is nothing short of awe-inspiring. Starting with a staggering $55,000 in debt, she defied the odds and achieved financial independence by the age of 32. She and her husband have experienced a life filled with adventure, from taking a dozen mini retirements to adopting four wonderful children, all while nurturing two biological ones. Their globetrotting adventures have taken them to 27 countries, and they now call the stunning Montana landscape right by Glacier National Park their home. But Jillian's journey isn't just about financial success. It's a tale of resilience in the face of adversity. Growing up in a small Montana town marked by financial hardship and a complicated home life, she overcame social anxiety and dyslexia to become the incredible individual she is today. Her determination to escape a challenging environment led her to the relentless pursuit of financial stability. And now she's on a mission to inspire others to carve out their own path to an extraordinary life. So in this episode, we are going to dive deep into her journey, exploring her experiences with bipolar disorder and the high priority she places on mental health. We'll also discuss financial independence, the joys of travel, the beauty of parenthood, and the importance of pursuing happiness. Honestly, her story is a shining example of how one can transform challenges into opportunities and adversity into triumph. So I'm not going to go on anymore. Jillian, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited that you're joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. When did you start this traveling around the world? Because 27 countries, that's quite an accomplishment. What what was the start of all of that? Well, growing up, we we didn't travel. Um, partly Montana's a really big state. It takes forever just to get out of the state. It's kind of like an island <laughs> from here to like get to the east side of the state. It's like 12 hours for us. So it wasn't a big part of our childhood, but I'd always dreamed of travel. Like I bought in high school, I'd buy travel books and I would highlight them and create little itineraries and bookmark every place that I would stay or eat. And so that was always kind of part of this, part of the stream, part of this, what if, like, what if we could do this? What if this could be part of our life? And we ended up having the opportunity um, to move overseas when my husband was in the military and it was kind of like the carrot they dangled to get him to re-up. And I was like, yes, yes, absolutely. That's what we're doing. And we just really, during that four years we lived there, we prioritized travel. So we traveled every month. Um, I solo traveled. I took classes in different countries. I went back to school. Um, I tried to kind of make up for lost time and it was so it was so helpful and so transformative to me that it is, 
it has remained a, a big part of our life. Uh, it's how we kind of, as a family, it's how we have fun together. It's how we learn together, how we grow, how we develop teamwork. So even now with my kids, we travel about half the year. Wow. So what did you learn about yourself when you first began to travel? Because I can only imagine, I've traveled a bit too, not you know, as much, but I can only imagine that there were some moments of real ahas. Oh my God. And I'm wondering what they were for you, if you can think back to when you first started to travel the world. It was incredibly stressful for me um, because I had, I grew up in, like, like you mentioned, I grew up in this really small town where I, I knew everyone and I knew everything and everything was so comfortable and familiar to be in places that felt so unfamiliar. Um, one of my biggest ahas were just that like, people are different everywhere you go, there's a whole different pers perspective. There's a whole different system and thought process and ways of relating. And, and just because it's uncomfortable doesn't mean it's wrong. Doesn't mean it's bad. Uh, there were a lot of times I would have to like sit with the discomfort and then be like, actually, this is kind of nice. Like I feel uncomfortable, but I really see the benefit to this. And just having that exposure to all sorts of new types of history and culture and, and art was, um, yeah, it was really magical for me. What an amazing opportunity to learn one of life's toughest lessons, which I think is it's okay to be uncomfortable. Yeah. So much of our lives, we, we shy away from being, I don't want to do anything wrong because I don't want to feel uncomfortable. I don't want to upset anybody because that'll make everybody uncomfortable. I don't want to call so-and-so out at the family dinner because that'll make everybody uncomfortable. But for you to learn that it is, first of all, you can survive feeling uncomfortable and that there's nothing wrong with it. And seeing another, you know, seeing other people live life completely differently from you and be happy and, you know, around it is, I think that's a great, a great opportunity for growth right there. So you traveled all over the world, any, and I didn't give you a heads up on this question, but any favorite memories from all of your travels that really, that really stand out? Favorite memories. I mean, maybe it's just my sense of humor, but I love the moments where everything fell apart. Like, I love the stories that were just a disaster and like a series of unfortunate events. Um, those are my favorite to reflect upon. Uh, and it it's also taught me this additional lesson. You know, the first one is that like all growth happens outside of your comfort zone. But all the second lesson was kind of this lesson of perspective that just because we're experiencing something very intensely right now doesn't mean we will always experience it that way. Um, in fact, the things that are intensely uncomfortable or frustrating right now might be the best. They might be your favorite thing in five or 10 years. And so sometimes now, even when I'm like, oh, this is so uncomfortable and I'm like, I'm not loving it at all. I think, but this might be the best story. This might be my favorite part, uh, when I think back on it. So, oh, that's so funny. I, when, as you were talking about traveling, and I asked you that question, what came to my mind when I was very little, I'm from Jamaica and we went to Europe for a holiday. And at one point we even lived in England, but when we were traveling Europe, the very first time I saw snow was in on the Swiss Alps. We weren't in the Alps, we were down low, 
driving and my father pointed up and he's like, sweetheart, guys, look, look, there's snow. That's, you know, snow. I'm like snow, daddy, snow, let's go, let's go. And he's like, no, are you like, no, <laughs> like we're a family of Jamaicans traveling on the bottom. We don't climb up the mountain to see the snow, but it's such a funny memory. And I remember I could hear my grandmother cackling with laughter in the back of the car, like as if, of course, I never got to see snow on that trip, but it's just one of those memories that I have. But I love that you, that you've got that understanding that, and for those of you listening, I want you to imagine that you've had uncomfortable moments that now you can laugh about. It's such a great lesson, recognizing that um, everything changes, including our perspective. And as we grow, some things shrink, right? Sometimes the memories shrink or the pain shrinks. Um, okay, so you've done, you do a lot of traveling and you continue to travel with your family. What would you say has been one of the biggest catalysts for transformation and understanding your authenticity, also known as badassery? on your journey so far, because of course, this is what we talk about on the podcast. Can you share one or two moments with us where you went, wow, that was something that was a lesson. I would say my first, my first big moment was, you know, it, my mom was in a, in her second marriage and it, it just, it was, it was an unhealthy situation. It was an unhealthy environment. And I remember being like 11 or 12 and, and saying, this isn't working. Like we can't stay here. We can't, we can't keep living here. Like we have to get out. I don't care where we go. I don't care what we do, but this isn't like the solution. And my mom was a very practical woman and said, listen, Jillian, I can't raise three kids on my own. So we don't have a choice. And I went upstairs, laid in my bed, and I just cried hot tears, like feeling so hopeless in that moment, um, feeling like I had no agency, but I had this realization, oh, money gives you options, like money gives you choices. And in that moment, I desperately wanted more options. I wanted more choices. I never wanted to be in this spot where I felt stuck in a, in a place that I knew wasn't safe or healthy or, or helpful for me. Um, and it really, it really kind of set me on a different financial trajectory where I prioritized, I prioritized that financial security more than other comforts. Um, and growing up, like we didn't, we didn't have a lot of money. I never assumed I would make a lot of money. We didn't, we've never actually made a ton of money. Um, and so it's tough. It's tough when you're poor to feel poor and to look poor. Um, and there's this huge temptation when you get some money to negate or try to hide or pacify those emotions and that embarrassment and that shame. But I had to reckon with the, I'm earning enough that I can look rich or I can start to become rich, but I don't have enough to do both. So which one matters more? Um, and that was the, it, yeah, that situation uh, really kind of shaped my, my financial thinking. Thank you for sharing. And really, what a what an interesting 
way to develop your financial safety. And I'm curious if you struggled to find the balance because by your own admission, it was, you could see yourself going one way fully or maybe the other way fully. But what, if you can share with us, what do you think allowed you to find that balance where you, you know, kept your sanity, so to speak? And, and well, not even that, but you had, I think, a very well-rounded view of what financial stability looks like and how it was going to support you on moving forward in your dreams. Yeah. Initially, I would say the, you know, the first, I got married when I was 19, even the first four or five years of our journey, there wasn't any balance. Like I craved that security and that safety more than any luxury the world could offer. Um, if I had to pick between one or, or the other, like it wasn't, it wasn't self-control. It wasn't discipline. It was desire. I desired safety and security uh, above everything else. So for us, the kind of balance was what are other good things in the world? What are other good things in our life that we can enjoy that don't require a lot of money or don't require any money? Um, and leaned into those and really said, okay, this is the season of life where we're going to go all in on that stuff, hoping that there'll be another season of life where, where we can enjoy the things that are expensive or that are luxurious. Um, but this season, we're just going to focus on like enjoying the frugal things. That's fantastic. How did the kids feel about that? Well, we, we adopted our first son about two years in, um, and, and kids were funny and that, you know, I think there's a, a brief moment of like wanting to kind of keep up with their peers, but at the heart of it, they want that connection and they want that love and they want that quality time and those experiences and those moments of connection. And in actuality, like most of those things aren't expensive. Those aren't luxury items. And so by prioritizing the experiences over the stuff, um, I think they, they got what they really desired. Oh, I'm, I'm a mom. I have two kids. They're 20 and 25. And I just want to say hats off to you because I know it can, the pressure sometimes to just appease and okay, fine. Oh, okay, fine. I'll give you this. Okay, fine. But I think it's wonderful that you were able to really prioritize that. And truthfully, children will learn. They'll take their example from you. If you're comfortable and feeling very secure in your choices, they will be too. So I think that's, I think that's fantastic. So you've done a lot of travel and you have found the balance between earning money and, and being stable and feeling secure. Moving forward in your, in your world, what was something else that has happened that was kind of like maybe unexpected or offered you another big lesson in life and transformation? Yeah, the second, um, also a painful moment. Uh, and, and for me, you know, I said like all growth happens outside your comfort zone. Um, unfortunately, as it works out, the moments in my life that feel the most transformative that feel like they shifted my trajectory the most were painful moments. 
Um, which is, it is a helpful perspective for me now, like when I'm going through a painful moment, because I kind of almost have this anticipation of what's that counterbalance. What's that, what's that growth on the other side? Cause I've seen it happen so many times. Um, but my second one was having that, that mental breakdown when I was about 27, uh, I spent a month inpatient uh, and it was a terrifying scary, awful moment. Um, it was a really difficult thing to navigate. I, I wasn't equipped or prepared at all. Um, but so many good things came out of it. And sometimes people will ask me now, like, was that breakdown the thing that transformed you? And I wish I could say it was, but it wasn't like it didn't, the transformation didn't actually happen in that really painful month. But it set me on a path that allowed me to grow and it and it freed me in a way because up until that point, I so desperately wanted to do things the right way. I desperately wanted people to be happy with me and to be proud of me and to feel like I was following all the rules um, and not for lack of effort. <laughs> not for lack of effort. I couldn't do it. I couldn't be who other people really wanted me to be. And I had put so much effort into it that I could have a really honest conversation with myself and my husband. And I said, like, I've given this an honest try. Like, I don't think anyone could try harder than I've tried. And it clearly has not worked at all. It's, it's a disaster, actually. It, it blew up my entire life, this pursuit of living up to other people's expectations. But it freed me up to, I came out of that and I said, okay, we're going to chart a whole new path now. Like that, that chapter's closed and this new chapter going forward, I have to confront all of me, all of what makes me me, all of my life up into this point, um, I need to get reacquainted with those things that I've closed off and I've blocked off. And I have to be really honest with other people about who I am and who I'm not, what I can do, what I can't do, and really comfortable with the good and the bad and the scary and the beautiful parts of me. And, and I just kind of took this, this radical honesty moving forward. And, and I was really lucky in a way that people the community I had around me at the time were like, yeah, this is awesome. You're awesome. We've always loved you. We still love you. You're like, this is like 2.0. This is even better. Uh, and so they were so supportive and encouraging. That's quite a story. And I'm quite moved because I think I see it so often in our world today with myself, with my clients, with my children, this idea of I'm not quite good enough. I'm not quite thin enough. I'm not quite pretty enough. I'm not quite liked enough. Um, I'm not white enough, black enough, brown enough, tan enough, skinny enough, you name it, right? There's this, there's this horrible feeling of I've got to be better. And I just, you know, I can picture this young woman because 27, 26, you're still pretty young. And I love that your, that your, your support system was there, but I'm curious, how, how does one go about reconnecting with themselves when you've had 27 years or 25 years plus of purposely being unconnected was this a case of did you journal did you get a coach did you have therapy like how does one say 
hey, everybody, I'm just taking a little bit of a break from the me that you know, and I'm going to get to know the me that I don't know. So just I'll, I'll come back in six months or I'll come back in six weeks or six days. So what were some of the things that you did to help you discover the real you? Yeah, the bummer of it was it's a long process and it's a, a continual, steady, persistent work. I, I wish I had like, and here's what I did for one week. And then I was totally me and awesome. Um, but it was, it was layer after layer after layer. And so the first thing I did coming out, I had received the bipolar diagnosis during that month, um, which is if you've ever had that diagnosis or, you know, someone who has, um, it can be very scary. It can be very overwhelming. Most people's assumptions are terrifying, uh, and frequently incorrect. And so you kind of get all of this, like, well, I saw a character on TV that did this, like, are you that person? And I'm like, Oh God, I don't think I'm that person. I don't, I don't know though. And so like the week after I came out, I was like in this radical honesty, the only way I'm going to be able to move through this is by being honest and open. And I started blogging about it every week. I wrote about all, all of the experience coming to terms with it, reorienting who I am, who I'm not, um, the parts of the label that did seem to fit and the parts that didn't, all of the struggles with med compliance and manic episodes and depressed episodes and just being ridiculously transparent with something that most people are incredibly closeted about. Um, it's something that even now, cause that's been like 15 years. Um, I know people in their thirties and their forties and their fifties who've been diagnosed for 10 or 20 years and have never told anyone. They will never tell their coworkers. They will never tell their friends. They will never talk about it online. They're so fear, so afraid of the shame and the judgment and the stigma and the assumptions. They're worried about their career. They're worried about their relationships. Like it's something that you feel a, a desperate intensity to hide and being scared to be found out. And I was just like, nope, that doesn't work for me. Like I can't, can't do that anymore. So I'm going to go way on the opposite end and be incredibly open and getting to practice that openness and that honesty in something that's so taboo and that's so shameful for most people really helped me slowly connect to these other parts of my life that felt taboo and shameful. Wow. I, I'm curious if you've seen in the 15 years in the States, has there been a progression where there is more openness and more discussion? Or do you find that it's as, as taboo as it was 20 years ago or 15 years ago when you first went in? Uh, I feel like we've made a tremendous amount of progress uh, for anxiety and depression. Um, I see that that talked about really openly. I would say bipolar and schizophrenia um, are still very taboo. And one thing, sometimes I do a random PSA online on my social accounts that two and a half percent of people are diagnosed bipolar. They think the number of people that are actually bipolar is maybe double that, but two and a half percent are diagnosed. Um, and so I encourage people like, think about your Facebook friends. If you have 200 Facebook friends, that's five people that have been diagnosed. Do you know who those five people are? 
if you have 400 Facebook friends, that's 10 people. Are there 10 people that you know that are open about being bipolar? And if not, there's, there's a lot of good reasons that they're not. Uh, but there's ways that we can become safer people for those with bipolar to come out too and to have one or two people they can share this deep, dark secret with. Such an important lesson for anybody that has anything of shame, especially if it's a mental, mental illness, is to recognize, number one, you're not alone. And there is nothing to be ashamed of. Mental health, mental illness is an illness. And I'm, I'm pleased to see that my children's generation can talk about things. And they have educated me. My youngest is actually in third year psychiatry, psychology. So she lectures me weekly on things that she's learning and I'm fascinated. And I am happy to see that more and more people are talking about it, but it breaks my heart when I hear stories of so many people, to your point, that are still feeling such immense shame. A lot of my clients um, have shame about other things, lifetime, you know, things that happened in childhood that prompt all of these limiting beliefs. And, and I often talk to them about what's the story that you're telling the world and is it actually true? So I'm sure that you've asked yourself those questions many times. So I'm glad that you had such great support and that you, again, in this instance, took this as an opportunity to sort of start fresh and give yourself some grace to sort of move forward with however, whatever it was that you needed. I love that. There is a caveat I will, I'll say in that me being able to be open um, then or now, I think there is a degree of, of privilege in that. So we're going to take a short break right now, but I'll be back with my guest within 60 seconds. Ladies, unlock your inner badass and transform your life with my monthly subscription workshop. For just $47 a month, you'll have exclusive access to work closely with me, Mahara Wayman, as we dive deep into all things badass, from personal development to conquering your goals. Imagine waking up every day with confidence, purpose, and a smile that radiates your newfound strength. Take advantage of this badass opportunity and join us today at www.mindfulnesswithmahara.com and start your journey toward a happier, more confident you. Smile when no one is looking. You've earned it. For me to be open then and now, there is a certain degree of privilege in that, in that there is real risk for a lot of people um, to be open. Um, I... (laughs) I've, and not that I don't experience that risk. I just don't care as much. Like if someone doesn't want to hire me, if someone doesn't want to work with me, if someone doesn't want to collaborate with me, if someone doesn't want to be friends with me, I'm like, it's a big world. I will be fine. But you know, every time I post people will DM me and say, I'm a physician. I've never told anyone I can't. It's, it's too detrimental to my career. Like I won't get promoted. I could get fired. Like no one will trust me. No one will respect me. I will constantly be questioned. I won't get promoted. Um, and so there is still a very real stigma. Um, and, and you're going to have to deal with a whole bunch of crap. Like <laughs> this is like, and you can totally cut this out. This is such a random, difficult story, but I was hanging out with a bunch of friends in Florida and someone invited a friend 
uh, to join us for the evening and stay over at our Airbnb. And I'm, I'm really open about my bipolar. So I was talking about like, I've made some like nutritional changes and I think this is going to help and inflammation and yada, 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 like a real casual, light conversation. And this, this acquaintance that I've just met was like, so my therapist feels like I should talk about this more. Um, someone with bipolar tried to murder me last year and I was severely injured and I was like, Oh shit. Um, I don't know how to handle this conversation. Like she had tremendous PTSD. This was a really difficult thing for her to share, but part of me in my head is like, does she think I might murder her? Like, do I have to, should I say this? Like, just so you know, like I haven't murdered anyone. I haven't, I've never thought about murdering someone. Like we're sitting in there being me together. I'm like, should I, I don't think my friends think that I would murder them, but like, do I, should I be candid about, like, I don't know. I don't know how to handle this. I felt so out of my depth and bad for her and, um, you know, wanting to make the situation better and supportive for her because it was so traumatic. But at the same time, like, yeah, there's, there's a cost to being open. Like all of a sudden, all of your friends might be like, hmm, I wonder if Jillian's going to murder me tonight. And you have to like navigate that. That's like the worst case scenario. I don't even know if that was the worst experience I've had of what people have shared with me in my openness, but you'll, you'll get some stuff. But I think also for the, for this woman. Oh yeah. That's, that's. Yeah. It's scary. Especially oh, if it takes her right. Horrifying. Back. Yeah. Yeah. Horrifying. Like it's such an awful thing to work through. And honestly, a perfect example of the failure of the medical and mental health state of the U.S. specifically, um, it never should have gotten to that point. There should have been so many more safety nets to to help the attempted murderer um, that the system obviously failed that person horribly. Okay, so tell us what you do today. Uh, my life is interesting. So we do, we travel about half the year. Um, I have a podcast called Retire Often, where I talk to people about their mini retirement stories. Um, and I'm a, a financial coach. I kind of coach people through those work transitions, either into early retirement or mini retirement. Um, but going through that breakdown and that diagnosis, it did it did alter my financial trajectory again, because I had this realization of like, maybe I'm not cut out for 40 hours a week, 50 weeks a year, year after year after year. Like I'm just not built that way. And that was one of those, like accepting who I am and coming to terms with it. And then instead of killing myself to try to fit into someone else's mold and someone else's idea just saying we got to start from scratch like what actually does work and what doesn't work for me uh so being self-employed works for me and it works through depression and through mania you know i can i can do 3 or 4 hours one week and i can do 30 another week when i'm in a different mental space and de- depending how much creative energy i have um my work can accommodate that instead of the other way around I love that you have another realization from your life is that you work best as a self-employed person and you can gauge your energy level and your capacity from one month 
or one week to the next. What's one of the things that you love most about being outside of the you pick your own hours, but the actual work that you do? What are some of the things that you love most about the work that you do when you help others with their finances, for example? I think this may be true of some <clears throat> some coaches or or therapists or things like that, but growing up, I always had lots of ideas. Like I was always a very observant, kind of hypervigilant child. And I was always like, but if we, if we did it this way, or if we did it that way, or maybe, maybe here's how people could grow or how they could change. And, and everyone around me was like, nope, not interested in that. And so it was like a deep frustration, like a deep, oh, just desperately wanting that for myself, but people around me and coaching is incredibly satisfying for me to see people show up who like want to change and want to grow. And instead of like my insights and my observations being annoying or pushy or uh, not requested, having this explicit consent of, yes, please speak into my life. Uh, please give me some guidance, make some observations. I've always been a very observant person. Most of my life, it got me into trouble because it turns out um, just because you can, you have the superpower to observe something does not mean that that person wants you to announce it to them or to people around them. <laughs> like, generally it's unwelcomed. So, you know, I always tell people like the thing that you're best at, that deepest strength, when it comes out in kind of inappropriate, inappropriate places, it's so painful when it's criticized. It's so painful when people misunderstand it, but when you can channel it into a place where it's not only like praised, but appreciated and you see the impact it's making, it's so deeply satisfying. It's so meaningful. Um, and honestly, I think a lot of people, the thing that they say, this is like the annoying quality about me is probably the other side of their superpower. It's probably secretly one of their greatest strengths and they just haven't found the right way to channel it for good. I love that you brought that up because truly one of my questions was going to be, what is your superpower? And you've said already that it's your ability to observe. And I think your point is so, so on, so on point. This idea that your superpower, before you realize it, or when you're very young, it may come out in, in, in places that are inappropriate. I couldn't help but draw um, a correlation to my own story. I'm the youngest of four. I'm a Sagittarius and I love to be the center of attention. And I grew up talking nonstop. And I recall my siblings always complaining, mommy, make her shut up, be quiet. Oh my God, shut up. Like, what is wrong with you? Stop talking, mommy, make her stop. And there came a time when I couldn't, I, would, I wouldn't talk. I, would, I wouldn't, you know, as a young adult, I would shy away from speaking my truth or asking a question because I was, I could just hear everybody telling me to shut up. And it was one of the first things that I had to, as a very recently in the last few years, really recognize and forgive myself for buying into the misunderstanding that I shouldn't talk. And now I run a podcast. 
and I talk to clients all the time. And I'm, you know, I'm, like you, I'm very observant. My superpower is I'm a great listener. So I can hear things that haven't been said. But I had to give myself permission to develop it as an adult because I'd spent my teenage years and young adult years suppressing it because I didn't want to hear that voice anymore saying, shut up. You talk too much, shut up. Yeah. And it takes, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Um, I think it takes, it takes a little bit of trial and error to find the place where it's appreciated and to find the place where it's productive. Um, me and my husband used to joke years ago that like, I'm a betterer. I love to make things better. Um, I'm really good at making things better. Any situation, any context, I, it just, it, it's an energy I have and I have too much of it. And there was one point in our marriage where he was like, Jillian, I am fully optimized. I can't our family is fully optimized. Like you can't pour this energy into us anymore. We need to find a new outlet because when it's spread out, when it's diffused among a lot of different projects and people, it is like the warm sunshine that just brings growth and life. But when you focus it down on me, it is like a laser that burns me. <laughs> And so even now, like whenever he starts to feel my, my better energy hanging out too much around the house, he's like, what, what are the projects you've been thinking about? Are you thinking about maybe increasing your client load? Like how, how can we spread this out a bit? Um, but I worked at my last like nine to five job I had during the interview. I was like, okay, guys, I'm a betterer. And they're like, a what? I'm like, I'm a betterer. Whatever you have, I'll make it better. Your systems, your process, your marketing, your branding, any of it, I'll make it better. I just love to improve things. And they were like, yeah, that's amazing. We really need someone around here like that. And what they should have said is we know there's problems and we will never under any circumstance do anything to change them, no matter the solution you bring us. And I spent the most frustrating next two years trying to like, trying to have that better energy appreciated or see it work and to have it just like, yeah, kind of like, shut up, knock it off. We're not doing anything. Like, why, why are you being like this? Um, and so it takes, it takes some trial and error to be like, where this energy that I have like a surplus of, where is it needed? Where is it wanted? Where is it useful? Um, and how can I kind of overcome the, maybe the shame that I've, I've experienced around it? It's all part of being a badass, right? It's all part of going, okay, you know what, this is how I'm kind of acting, or this is what I need, but I also need to have this or do this. So you know, I say it all the time on the show, but really being a badass is about really accepting who you are. And I love that you have come to this place because I can just see it in your eyes. Like you've got such a beautiful energy about you, even when you talk about the tough things. And I really do appreciate that. So you are a financial planner? Um, financial no, coach? Yeah, coach. I'm not a planner in the traditional sense of I, I'm not selling you anything. I'm not selling you insurance or investments or uh, stupid, worthless products. Um, and I also don't have like, here's the eight parts of your financial life that we need to get organized. I'm more, I listen to 
where people want to go, what they want their life to look like. And then we figure out what are the missing pieces that are holding that back? Is it, is it, you know, the actual finances? Is it how you feel about your money? Is it how you're thinking about your money? Is it, um, you know, all these different things and there might be 20 things. And sometimes people are really, really good at a couple of those. Um, and there's just one or two that are like making everything stuck. And so my process is more like looking at all the information, you know, being observant and saying, okay, here's, here's, I think the two sticking points. And if we kind of kind of unlock those two things, you'll make a massive amount of progress. Like, so I never go over things that people don't need help with. Like if, if you've already mastered it, I'm like, fantastic. If you understand your investments, fantastic. If you understand your budget, fantastic. If like you have a debt, debt pay down plan, awesome. We're not going to waste any time or energy on that. Like we're just going to go to the thing that's holding you back. Um, So important that we recognize that even though we may have a thing or five things, we also have lots of other beautiful things that are working well. And I think it's really great that you brought that up because sometimes when people look for help, what I've experienced personally and as a coach is we get mired in what we don't have and what I'm doing wrong and those feelings. And part of what I do with my clients is help them to recognize all the other great stuff, just like you said, um, because we want to find a balance, right? Life isn't all about the negative. It's not all about the positive. It's about being real, whatever that is to you, wherever you're at. So sounds amazing. Sounds beautiful. So I asked already, you've answered what your superpower is. I know the answer, I think, to this, but why, what makes you badass? I think part of it is I do truly feel comfortable with the good and the bad. I know what both of those are and neither of them bother me. Like even with my, with my employees and with my kids, one of the things I do frequently is say, okay, I want you to think about all of my weaknesses and I want you to tell me the three that you would love me to fix the most. And I'm, I'm not nervous or concerned. Like some people, especially with those that they view as below them are like, you're in no position to criticize me or you're in no position to tell me like how I need to improve. Um, Cause the thing is, I know all 50 of my weaknesses. There is nothing you could say that would go. I don't see that at all. Like I'm deeply acquainted <laughs> with those weaknesses. What I don't know though, is which three are impacting them the most. What three of my weaknesses are holding back their best work and their best potential or for my kids, like what three of my weaknesses are holding back their joy or their experiencing my love or their growth? I know I've got lots of weaknesses, but like, what's the three that actually matter to them? Because all the other ones are probably irrelevant. Like it's just, it they have no impact on them one way or the other. So why waste my time and my energy and focus working on something that isn't negatively impacting anyone. Um, so I think just having that self-awareness and being really comfortable, comfortable with the bad stuff, comfortable with the good stuff. Um, and, and it makes me confident in kind of a, a weird way, not in the, like, I think I'm awesome at everything, but I can walk into any room and feel like I belong because I know myself. 
Um, and I'm not intimidated by other people that have achieved different things because I don't think we're all the same. <laughs> I, I'm not running their race and they're not running mine. It's, it's not a competition. So I think that that comfort with the light and the dark is, is super helpful for me. I love the way that you put that. And, you know, I say this all the time. I personally believe that we're spiritual beings having a human existence. And that means that there is tough things and, and easy things. And there's good times and bad times. And there's traits and there's challenges and there's beautiful things. What a gift to be able to stand in your skin and feel that way. And yeah, you are absolutely badass. I absolutely 100% agree with you. And it's it's something that we all aspire to this idea of feeling comfortable with the good and the bad. And I put that in quotation marks because I don't really think anything is bad, bad, but it does speak to our level of comfort. And it does speak to what's important to us and or our children and or our loved ones. I think the question is very brave because it does speak a lot to um, judgments and assumptions, right? Two things that as humans, we, many of us struggle with. Jillian, I could just sit here and chat with you all afternoon, but that's not the way to run the podcast. <laughs> I am going to say though, that I have very much enjoyed getting to know you better. And for those of you that are listening, check out the show notes. I will drop as much information as, as she will give me to allow you to connect with her directly because she's pretty darn special. Thank you again for being on the show with us today. I'll see you next week on The Art of Badassery. Thank you for tuning in to The Art of Badassery. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and gained valuable insights to help unleash your inner badass. If you found this podcast helpful, please leave a rating or review on your favorite platform. Your feedback not only helps me improve the show, but it also helps others like yourself discover the podcast. Until next time, keep embracing your authenticity and living life on your terms. Here's to you.